Chuk. What do you love most about living here? I love the location. I love the bush. I love the mountain. I love all the birds um, and all the wildlife. I love that my son can have a childhood like I had very early in my childhood where, you know, you can just run outside and play. And there's actually heaps of other kids here. So he's getting to have a really quite a unique childhood in, in every sense because he's got freedom, he's got learning, you know, opportunities and climbing trees and building forts and all that kind of stuff. But we're also 10 minutes from the city. So it's pretty magical. I get to sit in this spot on the couch and watch black cockatoos eating the the banksia husks and see wallabies hopping around and, um, you know, the clouds moving across the mountain. So it's a really beautiful environment and very tranquil and very healing. It's somewhere where, you know, I feel more at home than I've ever felt anywhere. My name's Kate Kelly. I am a, well, primarily I see myself as a, a mum, a writer and an artist. Um, but recently I have moved into activism and advocacy around homelessness and I have been chairing the Housing with Dignity Reference Committee uh, for the Hobart City Council, which is a group of people with lived experience giving advice to council from that perspective and I run the Hobartians Facing Homelessness Rental Crisis Action Group. I feel really fortunate and really blessed and I haven't yet had a day here where I've woken up and not kind of pinched myself. Yeah, I've never had this before. I've never had a home before. So having that securities allowed me to work on aspects of my life that I didn't even really realise had been unattended to for so long. Yeah, like I can finally, that's why I'm able to do creative stuff now and it's why I'm able to do the things I'm doing now again because, you know, I don't have to live kind of week to week anymore. I have lived for extended periods in my life um, as a, a teenager and as a young adult um, of being homeless and, you know, sleeping on friends floors and sleeping in spare rooms under people's houses and sleeping in cars and tents and that kind of thing. When my partner and I separated um, we were a single income family and when he left I went on to the single parent pension and the place that we'd been living in uh, suddenly became wildly unaffordable for me. But I tried to stay in that house for as long as possible so I could continue with my son's education at at the local school he was just about to start um, going to kinder and he'd been doing all his pre-kinder there so I thought well I'll stick it out in this house for a year until he's in school and then and then we've got more options but within that year my rent went up again I was um, I think I was only getting something like you know single parent pensions not much Um, and I was paying over 70 percent of it in rent so it was really, really hard and really isolating. And the worst thing about it is I actually couldn't save up to move. So I was kind of trapped, you know, living in this, you know, cycle of just getting poorer and sicker and tireder and more isolated. And it was incredibly depressing.
I, every single night, would go to bed terrified about impending homelessness. I didn't actually think there was going to be any other option. I thought, if I don't get this house, if something doesn't happen, if I don't get something off that waiting list of public housing, I knew I'd get something eventually somewhere and I'd work it out, but I thought there's probably going to be a real, really fractured period in the middle of it all where my son will have to go and live with his father for a while, where I will have to pull a rabbit out of a hat, you know, in lots of ways to try and find something suitable for my son and I probably would have had to move out of town. My mum and my dad and my family would never see me in a car. They would never see me in that situation with my kid. You know, they just wouldn't let that happen. But I would have ended up couch surfing for a while. And, um, you know, that's, that's not a psychologically or physically great environment for any family to be in. I had virtually no social life after I separated from my, my partner and I was a mum. I had virtually no social life because I simply could not afford to put petrol in the car and go and do things. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I could take my son out and buy an ice cream, but, you know, he'd be like, well, why aren't you having an ice cream, mum? You know, and so I'd do things with him, but I couldn't go to parties. I'd get invited to movies. I'd get invited out for lunch. I'd get invited to go and visit people, and I couldn't do it. And I didn't want to invite people over because I didn't have any food to give them. Or So, yeah, I mean, it's poverty is incredibly socially isolating. A lot of that also is people are concerned about being judged. You know, they feel like they can't invite a friend over because they don't have any food to give them. But I realise now that my friends wouldn't have cared about that and they probably would have brought food. (laughs) But, you know, you get proud. You don't want to be that person who ends up feeling like a charity case. You don't want people feeling sorry for you. I just felt really I felt really powerless and I felt really terrified and I was selling all my stuff. I was going to the local church market and just selling stuff, you know, to pay bills and looking around for a flat and looking around for something. And, of course, this is when the rents were really starting to skyrocket in the end of 2016 and 2017 and realising that, you know, I was probably going to have to live way out way out whoop whoop with my son in a one-bedroom place and but you know looking for something to live in and I still couldn't find anything and you know also there was a stigma around being an unemployed single mum which was just you know um, basically I was already up against it with getting selected for a house so I mean I would only have to say I was a single mother and I would see the estate agent's eyes glaze over and no consideration of the fact that, you know, I have been renting in one form or another for uh, since I was 15 years old, so 29 years. Um, and, you know, I've, I, I've never missed a rental payment anywhere I've lived. But though those kind of things, it's, you know, there's a lot of stigma against single mothers in our society. And that's also another reason why it's really important to me that my son sees me as a person who is not um, a victim and who can do things and who does good things and who helps other people. And, 
You know, as a parent, the one thing that you promise yourself and that you want to do is to provide for your child. And the fact that I felt like I had no control over that was really, really terrifying and really dented my morale and, you know, my confidence. And, um, you know, I mean, I always would find a way. I'm a resilient person. I always have found a way and my son would have been fine regardless. But um, I felt like I'd never had a problem renting before in my life. And um, I had been homeless before when I was younger. But once I was an adult and I had my own income, I, I managed to, you know, rent apartments and flats and that kind of thing and I just presumed I would be a lifelong renter because I never was going to be able to save up enough for a deposit and I was okay with that but when that option became out of reach if you don't have the money to buy a house and you don't have the means to generate it and you don't have a rental market that you know provides you with housing if you need it I mean, what do you do? Where do you go? I was on the waiting list for public housing on their priority list for three years and I didn't even get a phone call. So, you know, it was getting dire. And so that's why when I took this place as a sublet, it was only for a year. But I thought, well, at least that will give me an opportunity to save up enough money to move into the rental market again and a chance to recover my physical health a bit, which took a battering from living in poverty like that. Um you know, I was, I was on the days my son was with his dad, I was skipping meals, I was not driving the car, I was not, not having hot showers, I was basically living in my bedroom, I had no social life, because I couldn't afford to even go out for a coffee. So, you know, I did that so that when I had my son with me, he could have a normal life. I'm a single mum, and I live with a disability, and I was feeling really terrified about, um, my prospects so I've just reached out as some you know as you do on somewhere like Facebook and started a a group uh, for support and for resource sharing and um, it was pretty amazing because within the first 24 hours we had 900 members and I was finding that people were echoing my story and the problem seemed to be a lot bigger than I'd realized in terms of the rental crisis and housing shortage situation in Hobart which is dire. I have an autoimmune disease. I have um, uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which um, causes me a lot of inflammation. Um, I get very fatigued. Um, but I also have, you know, other health issues, which I don't really want to go into. But um, the combination of of the autoimmune disease and the other health issues I have, um, they feed each other. And the worst exacerbator for it is stress. So if I can keep, you know, my doctors have said to me for years, you just need to keep your stress levels down. You just need to keep your stress levels down. I was like, well, that's all fine and good. But when you don't know how you're going to eat and, you know, you don't know if you're going to be able to afford to keep the power on, it's, um, you can't really keep your stress levels down. So, yeah, my, it was the stress. It just spiraled me into kind of a health relapse. Yeah. And that was another, that added another degree of, you know, lack of control onto the situation. You know, it felt bad enough that I couldn't control my, you know, physical reality of housing, but to also feel that my health was deteriorating because, you know, when you've got your health, 
you've got everything you really do even if you don't have housing you've got you've got you know you've got a strength and you've got a foundation but when you don't have security of housing you don't have security of income and your health starts to go it's terrifying especially if you're a provider for a child yeah so that was horrible I never want to go back to that again you know I still wake up sometimes four in the morning just in a panic and then realize I'm okay it's all okay I still can't quite believe that I won't have someone knock on my door any minute and this all come crashing down I shouted to think where I would be because I think if I hadn't have got this place I probably my son probably would have had to go and live with his father because I wouldn't have been able to provide for us which is a horrible thought if you've had that experience you don't ever want anybody to be in that situation again and when other people are going through that you feel that pain for them you see what they're going through you know what it feels like you know how destabilizing it is and how dangerous it is to be in that headspace we live in a community you know we live in an environment where people support each other and we don't you know we're not having to you know we've got our social mobility we've got opportunity like I said before through this community support to be civically engaged everyone who lives here is really civically minded and civically engaged but that's a luxury that's actually a really first world luxury and, and largely it's also you know there's a lot of white privilege in there too because it's not safe for some people to do the things I'm doing and to be an activist and to say things you know yeah they this environment I'm living in, what it does is it gives people back their power, empowerment and it, it gives them a community to support them and it gives them agency. I would love everyone to have this experience because it's, I think it's the way we're meant to live. We're meant to live in communities. We're not meant to be isolated. You know, no one should be alone. For the first time in my life, I've been able to afford to buy things that I would like to have, not just have milk crate coffee tables with a bit of wood and a sarong on top you know that kind of thing I've managed to make this house kind of what I what I want my home to feel like and it's pretty nice you know to be able to do that it's a real treat the garden's a big thing for me at the moment I'm just really getting into growing food you know I'm being able to plant a plant a tree and know it will grow you know I just planted a fig tree the other day and I'm still kind of thinking oh it's a bit rash planting a fig tree but the, I can't even, I actually can't conceive of the idea that my kid will get to sit under that in 10 years' time as a teenager and that that tree will be big enough to provide shade. It just does not, I can't compute that thought. What have you learnt from these recent experiences with being around people who have experienced homelessness quite dramatically? Most of those people have experienced it way worse than I ever had and um, still do. And I've, the main thing I've learned is that you cannot assume why someone is homeless. And it's actually, the question I think it, it shouldn't be why someone is homeless. It should be how someone is homeless. Um, because the why has an implied choice in there that they might have made or done something wrong or... You know, whereas, you know, I've been really surprised by the people I've met and their resilience. And I think I was actually a lot more judgmental about people. I was a lot harsher about people 
before I started doing this. I had an attitude that, you know, oh, well, because I grew up with all these potential circumstances where I could have gotten to drugs, I could have gone off the rails, I could have ended up like that, but I didn't. I naively attributed that to my own resilience and grit or whatever but in actual fact it boils down to the fact that I've always had a loving family and every time something has gone really really wrong or I've never got to the point I mean sleeping rough is a physical state you know but if that's compounded by the fact that you have nobody I think I mistakenly thought oh you know if you if you have all this adversity it's all the same it's the same adversity for that person as it is for me and you have these things happen and you have the same opportunities and you have the same chance to rise up and if you don't somehow it's um it's a failing in you that you can't get on top of things and it wasn't until I was recently nearly homeless and I knew I wouldn't be able to stop myself becoming homeless and that me getting home was totally at the mercy of whether or not a house came up here or a house on the public housing list and I realized that I'd done everything right you know I've always been a contributing member of society I've always you know done good things for people I'm I went to school I did all the things you meant to do for your life to turn out okay and I had no control over this situation and I started to, that's when I started to question my own judgments. So I think when I started doing this, I had a lot of judgments about people. Um, you know, oh, they're, they're homeless because, you know, if they stopped buying that many cigarettes or if they stopped taking drugs or, you know, and it wasn't that basic. I do understand a bit more about it than that. But, you know, at a glance, I had judgments and value judgments I was making about why people were homeless. And... Um, and I realised I was completely wrong. You know, it can happen to anybody. Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> We're doing a recording. Say hi. Say hi. Bye bye. <laughs> it's my neighbours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's another one of my neighbours. Oh yeah. Hello. Thank <laughs> you.